questions to the Prime Minister. Mr. Alistair Carmichael. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I know the whole House will join me in condemning the horrific terrorist attacks in Turkey last night. Our thoughts and prayers are with those who were killed and injured and their families. As yet, there are no reports of any UK casualties, but the Foreign Office are working urgently with the Turkish authorities to establish the full facts. I spoke to President Erdogan this morning to express the UK's condolences and to offer assistance. Details are still emerging, but we stand as one in our defiance against these barbaric acts. Mr Speaker, this week marks the centenary of the Battle of the Somme, and there will be a national two-minute silence on Friday morning. I'll be attending a service at the Tipval Memorial near the battlefield, and it's right that the whole country pauses to remember the sacrifices of all those who fought and lost their lives in that conflict. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Alistair Carmichael. Can I first of all associate myself with the Prime Minister's remarks of condolence to all those who have been affected by this dreadful attack in Istanbul? And can I offer him my personal best wishes to himself and his family for life after Downing Street? Uh, He has served his country, but he's not done it alone, and I think it's right that we should acknowledge the support that he's had, as we all have, from our families in public service, Mr Speaker. Um, Before he goes, though, will he... uh, Will he attend to one matter that, when he was in opposition, he described as doing enormous moral damage to the moral authority of our country, and that is the involvement of our security services in rendition? Now that the CPS have decided they are not going to prosecute Sir Mark Allen for what he did, will he... Will he reinstitute, reconstitute the Gibson inquiry so that we can know what was done in our name and on whose authority? Well, first of all, can I thank uh, the right honourable gentleman for his generous remarks? Uh, I'm very proud to have served this country and proud to be the first Prime Minister for, I think, 30 years to get to both Shetland and Orkney uh, to make sure I fully looked into his uh, constituency. He raises an important point about uh, the, the Libya rendition issue. The government cooperated fully with the police investigation into these cases. The CPS set out their position recently, concluding there was insufficient evidence to prosecute. I would say and I can say these things now, I think there are very few countries in the world that would have had such an independent and thorough investigation uh, into an issue like this. Uh, I think the right uh, approach, as Sir Peter Gibson finished uh, the report of what he was able to do, is the ISC has agreed to look at these issues, raise in his report, and I think they should continue to do so. Stephen Metcalf. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, As my right honourable friend has said, and perhaps put... Uh, current events into perspective. At 7.30 this Friday, we will start the process of commemorating the 100th anniversary of the Battle of the Somme. Will my right honourable friend join me in thanking all those involved in organising the Forget Never project in Basildon, who have done so much to ensure that our young people will learn the lessons of the past? And forgetting our current challenges, will he join me in encouraging everyone to remember, salute and commemorate those who made the ultimate sacrifice? I certainly join my honourable friend in commending all those who are organising these important events, particularly the event he mentions in his constituency, but there will be events up and down the country. And I think it's important, not only because this appalling slaughter, 57,000 people killed or wounded on the first day of this battle, but also because so many people are learning so much about their own family's involvement. And I would say in many ways there is a link between the 
current events we're discussing and what happened 100 years ago is the importance of keeping peace and security and stability on our continent. And actually it was noticeable at last night's European Union dinner that the uh, French president actually mentioned the Somme uh, commemorations and how proud he was that we were going to be standing together and remembering those sacrifices all those years ago. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I would like to echo the words of the Prime Minister concerning the 36 who died and the 100 injured in the vile terrorist attack at Ataturk Airport, and I'm sure that our consular services will be doing everything they can to assist those that have been affected. I'd also like to thank him for referring to the memorial for the Somme on Friday, and I look forward to being with him there at the memorial service of those who died in that dreadful battle. I think, Mr Speaker, it would also be appropriate if we paid tribute to Lord Patrick Mayhew, who died last weekend. As Northern Ireland Secretary, he was the driving force behind the Downing Street Declaration in 1993 that did lead to the first ceasefire. And I think the relative peace we have now in Northern Ireland is in part thanks to him and, of course, his successor, Mo Molan, for all that she achieved. Mr Speaker, what people in the country are worried about is the extra insecurity to their living standards, jobs, wages and pensions following the EU referendum. In recent days, we've heard uncertain words about the future of some of the major companies in Britain, like Siemens, which has been here for a very long time. What meetings has the Chancellor had with major companies, Siemens, Visa, Vodafone and others, to try to stabilise the situation? Well, first of all, um, he's absolutely right to mention um, Patrick Mayhew. He did play a huge role in the delivery of the peace process. He was also a brilliant Attorney General and someone who I think exuded a belief in public service and the national interest and was a kind and goodly man. Uh, And I was um, very sad to hear of his passing. I sent a message to him via his wife shortly before he he died. And uh, I know there are many people in this House who want to send their good wishes to his family. Uh, The Leader of the Opposition rightly asked what conversations we're having with business and also what preparation we're making uh, to deal with the economic challenges we face. I would say, look, we are in a strong position to meet these challenges because we've paid down so much of our deficit. We've had strong growth and job creation. But I don't belittle at all the consequences will be difficult. There are going to be uh, some very choppy waters ahead. Uh, I don't resile from any of the warnings I made during the referendum campaign. But we've got to find the best way through this. Now, one of the things we must do is talk with businesses and reassure them about the stability there is today and the strength of the British economy. The business secretary has met with a whole range of businesses already. Tomorrow I have the meeting of my business advisory group and I'm inviting other companies to that, including Siemens, who play a huge role in the British economy. And what we, want, what we need to talk about is the reassurances about stability we can give now, the fact that our circumstances don't change until we leave the European Union, and then I want to hear from them as we draw up the possible blueprints for Britain's future uh, position with Europe about what they think would be the right answer. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The credit rating agencies have cut the UK credit rating down to AA from AA+. The Chancellor pledged to keep a AAA rating. What estimate has the Government made of the cost to the Exchequer of this downgrade in terms of borrowing costs and of the risks to pension funds? Well, the Leader of the Opposition is absolutely right that the credit ratings by one agency has been taken down 
uh, by several points, and another has put us on, uh, on watch. Uh, the answer to his question directly is the cost to the exchequer and to the taxpayer will depend on what happened to the interest rates in the market at which Britain can borrow, and he's absolutely right to draw attention to that. Look, as I said, they're definitely, and the, the Mario Draghi, the head of the ECB, confirmed this last night. All of the warnings were that if we voted to leave the EU, there would be difficulties in terms of our own economy and growth rates and uh, um, uh, instability in markets. We're seeing those things. We're well prepared for them in terms of the reaction of the Bank of England and the Treasury. But there's no doubt in my mind these are going to be difficult economic times. What we must do is make sure we maintain our strong economy so we can cope with them. But we shouldn't belittle these challenges. They're going to be difficult and we're going to have to meet them. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Everyone across this House should be concerned that the indications from business and investors are they see the UK as less attractive, thus putting current and future jobs at risk. In these circumstances, will the Prime Minister consider suspending the Chancellor's fiscal rule, which is in effect preventing investment from taking place? I don't believe that would be the right approach. I think, look, what, what business needs to hear, what um, consumers and investors and people uh, concerned about our economy want to hear, is that we have taken huge steps over the last six years to get the budget deficit down, to make the British economy more competitive, to make it an attractive destination for investment. They want those things to continue. And of course, if we do see economic difficulties, one of the ways we have to react to that is to make sure that our public finances and our economy remain strong. We shouldn't have taken all the steps of the last six years to get the deficit down in order to see us get onto a more difficult path. So I don't think it would be right to suspend fiscal rules. As I say, there are three phases to this. The first is the volatility we see, which the Bank of England and the Treasury must cope with. The second is the uncertainty about Britain's future status, which we need to bring to an end as fast as possible by examining the alternative models and then my successors choosing which one we should uh, go for. And then we need to bear in mind the long-term damage to the British economy is based on how good our trading relationship will be with the European Union. Now, for my part, I think we want the closest possible relationship in terms of trading with the European Union, and that's something that can be discussed and debated in this House as well as by the next government. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week, sadly, there has been more evidence that racist incidents are increasing. Evidence collated by monitoring groups shows that in the last three or four days alone, attacks and abuse from Stoke to Stockton, from Dorset to the Clyde. Can I ask the Prime Minister what monitoring systems he and the Home Secretary have put in place, what reports he's received from the police, and what extra resources are going to communities that have been targeted in these vile racist attacks that are taking place? Well, first, let me agree with the right honourable gentleman. These attacks are appalling and they need to stop. And it's right that everyone in this House and everyone on all sides of the referendum debate utterly condemns them. That is not what we do in Britain. Let me say that I reassured Prime Ministers, uh, countries of, such as Romania and Poland and the Czech Republic, who were concerned about this issue at the meeting that we had last night. So we do monitor these attacks and the Home Secretary gets regular reports. But I can tell the House that we will be publishing a new action plan on tackling hate crime shortly to step up 
our response. We want new steps to boost reporting of hate crime and supporting victims, new CPS guidance to prosecutors on racially aggravated crime, a new fund for protective security measures at potentially vulnerable institutions, and additional funding to community organisations so they can tackle hate crime. Whatever we can do, we will do to drive these appalling hate crimes out of our country. Jeremy Corbyn. I thank the Prime Minister for that answer. Last Thursday, Mr Speaker, was a rejection of the status quo, a status quo that clearly isn't delivering. There are now 13.5 million people living in poverty in Britain, up 300,000 in the last year. Four and a half million people in England and Wales alone are in insecure work, and two-thirds of children in poverty are living in households where at least one adult is in work. The Prime Minister has two months left. Will he leave a one-nation legacy? And will that one nation legacy and will that one nation legacy be the scrapping of the bedroom tax, the banning of zero hours contracts and cancelling of the cuts to universal credit? Where I would agree with the right honourable gentleman is of course we need to do more to tackle poverty, we need to do more to spread wealth and opportunity. But to try and pretend that last Thursday's vote was a result of the state of the British economy is complete nonsense. The British economy is incomparably stronger than it was six years ago. We all have to reflect on our role in the referendum campaign. I know the Honourable Gentleman says he put his back into it. All I'd say is I'd hate to see him when he's not trying. Mr Speaker, government figures, government, government figures released yesterday show the number of children living in poverty has jumped by 200,000 in a year to a total now, a disgraceful total, of 3.9 million children in this country living in poverty. Does he not think he should at the very least apologise to them? and the parents that have been failed by his government and do something about it so that we do reduce the levels of child poverty in this country. If he wants to deal with the figures, let me give them to him. Income inequality has gone down. Average incomes have grown at their fastest rate since 2001. He asks about poverty. There are 300,000 fewer people in relative poverty since 2010. Half a million fewer people in absolute poverty since 2010. Look, if he's looking for excuses about why the side he and I were on about the referendum, frankly, he should look somewhere else. And I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, he talks about job insecurity and my two months to go. It might be in my party's interest for him to sit there. It's not in the national interest. And I would say, for heaven's sake, man, go. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's here, Mr Quinn. Jeremy Quinn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. While media attention seems to be focused elsewhere, uh, all of us in this House have constituents who have problems that need to be addressed. For weeks and weeks, my constituents have been struggling with the impact of unofficial industrial action on our railways, not over jobs, not over wages, but over who gets to press a button. Will my right honourable friend condemn this in the strongest possible terms and help to resolve those issues? 
Well, my honourable friend is absolutely right. Our transport infrastructure is a crucial part of our economy. I condemn any industrial action that disrupts the travelling public, and rail passengers will not thank the RMT and ASLEF for their recent unnecessary disruption. Frankly, the performance of Southern has been unacceptable, and passengers deserve better. I can tell the House will be providing more generous compensation to passengers affected by the latest strike, and the Transport Secretary will be announcing further details soon. Angus Robertson. Uh, on the terrorist, on the terrorist tragedy in Turkey, we on these benches join with the Prime Minister and the leader of the official opposition in our condemnation and sending our condolences to the people of Turkey. Mr. Speaker, a strong majority voted for Scotland to remain in the European Union. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon is in Brussels today, where she is meeting with the President of the European Commission, where she is meeting with the President of the European Parliament. Yesterday there was a standing ovation in the European Parliament when the case was made to protect Scotland's place in Europe. What will the UK Government do to protect Scotland's place in Europe? Well, first of all, let me thank the right honourable gentleman for what he says about the terrorist attacks and how we should stand together against them. On the issue of uh, the United Kingdom's future and our relationship with the European Union, we need to negotiate the best possible deal for the United Kingdom and the closest possible relationship, and that would also be the best possible deal for Scotland. That is what we need to focus on. That is what needs to be done. Angus Robertson. Uh, on the contrary, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is wrong on that issue. And yesterday, the Scottish Parliament passed a motion across the Parliament, including the Labour Party, the Scottish Liberal Democrats and the Greens, who all mandated the Scottish Government to have discussions with the UK Government, other devolved administrations, the EU institutions and Member States to explore options for protecting Scotland's relationship with the EU, Scotland's place in the single market and the social employment and economic benefits that come from that. Every party in the Scottish Parliament voted for that, except the Conservative Party, who abstained. When will the Conservatives finally join with all other parties in Scotland in protecting Scotland's place in Europe? The best way to secure Scotland's place in the single market is for the United Kingdom to negotiate the closest possible relationship with the European Union, including, in my view, the closest relationship with the single market. Our membership of the European Union is a UK membership, and that is where we should take our negotiating stance. Jake Berry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Market traders in Rosendale and Darwin make a huge contribution to our local economy. With that in mind, would my right honourable friend call with me and literally thousands thousands of Darreners to stop Blackburn Council going ahead with its plan to bulldoze Darwin's three-day market? Well, let me join him in paying tribute to all the hard-working market traders across the country who provide us with their excellent goods, often locally produced and sourced. I know how important these markets are. I certainly hope the local council will listen carefully to my honourable friend's campaign and make sure this historic market is not less lost from Darwin altogether. Justin Madders. Yeah. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will recall visiting the Vauxhall car plant in my constituency as part of the referendum campaign. Now we have voted to leave the EU, we face a real fight to keep those jobs in this country. And so I will be urging General Motors to recognise their responsibility to build vehicles where many are bought. But I would ask the Prime Minister if he can ensure that there are early talks with General Motors and the wider motor industry so they are given the reassurance needed that motor vehicles will still be able to be exported to the EU at a competitive price. Yeah. Yeah, well. no, the Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right. The story of the automotive industry in Britain over the last decade has been a remarkably positive one. There are 150,000 people directly employed. There are another 300,000 people in the supply and components industry, more of which has been coming on shore in recent years. I remember my visit very well. What we need to do is to secure the best possible deal for Britain uh, to make sure that we have that full access to the single market because so many companies, General Motors included, and Nissan and Toyota and Jaguar Land Rover, one of the reasons they've invested in Britain is because of access to that market. And I would urge General Motors and others to make their voices heard and we'll certainly be listening to them in the weeks ahead. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, a former member of my staff was verbally abused and attacked whilst out shopping in London because of the colour of his skin, as of Pakistani origin. He was chased down the road by a lady shouting about how he had voted out and that people like him shoot themselves, shoot others and blow up people. Shame. Shame. Mr Speaker, can I ask the Prime Minister to reiterate the commitment that he has already given this morning to do everything in his power to eradicate this evil hatred and reiterate that leaving the EU should not be used to breed racism but in fact the opposite and provide us with an opportunity now to be much more international rather than just European. Well, this country, we have many imperfections, but we do have a claim to be one of the most successful multi-faith, multi-ethnic democracies anywhere on earth, and we should do everything we can to safeguard that. What that means is the clearest possible statements from all our political leaders, which you've heard today and should go on hearing, but more to the point, we want action by the police, by the prosecuting authorities. The laws are there for these people to be prosecuted. They should be used. We're going to strengthen the guidance in the way that I suggested, but we should absolutely not put up with this in our country. Alex Salmond. Turning turning now to the Chilcot report. Is the Prime Minister satisfied with the arrangements announced for prior access for service families who died of soldiers who died in Iraq? Given that Mr Blair has had months to prepare his PR defences, given that he has seen the relevant passages. And what are the parliamentary arrangements for secure prior access? So this House can properly examine the findings and express any relevant views concerning the future suitable accommodation for Mr Blair. Um, What I'd say to the Right Honourable Gentleman is, is first of all, um, in terms of uh, members with service personnel families, we have made sure um, that they're not going to face the costs that they originally were in terms of accessing the report. I will check the details for the time they get to access the report and perhaps write to him. The parliamentary processes, again, I can put in a letter to him so we're absolutely clear about what time the statement will be, how much time people will have to, uh, including the Leader of the Opposition, to study the report in advance, and of course uh, other uh, Right Honourable Gentlemen. I remember how important this was when I was Leader of the Opposition, having some access. Uh, As for um, those people who could be criticised in the report, he will know that there is a process 
where letters have to go out so people have a chance to respond to what's in the report. That is entirely independent of the government. Ministers haven't seen that. I haven't seen any of that. That has been dealt with by the Chilcot report under long-standing conventions. But again, I shall put that in my letter to the Right Honourable Gentleman. Sir Alan Duncan. Moving to more uh, cheerful matters, Mr Speaker, would my right honourable friend educate the House from his experience as Prime Minister on how, in terms of their country's reputation and success, he would compare the undemonstrative competence and dignity of Angela Merkel with the theatrical and comical antics of Silvio Berlusconi? Well... (laughs) Fortunately, um, for, the, for, for my answer, neither of the people that he's talking about are, are candidates in this election, an election that I will stay firmly out of. Um, I was given lots of advice on becoming Prime Minister. One of them was not to go to a party with Silvio Berlusconi, and that's one bit of advice I took, to, I took and stuck to. Mr Douglas Carswell. I thank the Prime Minister for giving us last week's great exercise in democracy. We on the order. The order, the honourable gentleman will be heard. And it's about us and this place that he will be heard. Mr Douglas Carswell. The Prime Minister for giving us last week's great exercise in democracy. We on the Leave side should recognise that although we won, it was a narrow mandate with plenty of decent patriotic people voting for Remain. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that both sides now need to come together to achieve a new post-EU national consensus, whereby we have close links with our friends and allies in Europe and beyond, while reclaiming our sovereignty? Well, first of all, let me thank the... Um we thank the honourable gentleman for making the point that there were people who have a deep sense of patriotism on both sides of the argument. I also agree with him. It's time for people and our country to come together. And what's why I think he is right that we now have to work very hard. Uh, on what the alternatives are because of course these were discussed and debated in the referendum campaign but they were hypothetical alternatives they are now real alternatives and I think one of the roles the government can play in the next few months is to set out these different blueprints the Canada blueprint the Swiss blueprint the Norway blueprint and any other blueprints and look at the costs and look at the benefits so people can make a reasoned assessment now that this is a real choice rather than a hypothetical one Sir Roger Gale Mr Speaker, I I know that um, all of Kent's members of Parliament would wish to be associated with the tribute paid by my right honourable friend to the memory of Paddy Mayhew. He was a scholar, he was a gentleman, and he was a great friend to his younger colleagues. Mr Speaker, there are hundreds and thousands of expat United Kingdom citizens living around Europe who did not vote in the referendum. Many of them are elderly and frail. They live on UK pensions and UK benefits. Will my right honourable friend seek to ensure that his successor defends their interests? Well, first of all, let me um, add to what he said on on, um, Sir Patrick Mayhew. He was a a, a wonderful man and a great public servant, and I know he meant a lot to my honourable friend and and, and many others. Uh, On this issue of... British citizens living overseas, I think we should reassure people that until Britain leaves the EU, there's absolutely no change 
uh, in their status. One of the things that this unit at the heart of Whitehall can do in the coming weeks is to go through these issues very methodically and work out what might need to change in all the different scenarios to give these people uh, certainty about their futures. And it's obviously very important that we do that. Gapes. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, yeah. London is the greatest city in Europe and in the world. It's. 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 Order. I've enjoyed listening to the Honourable Gentleman for 25 years and I want to continue to hear him. Let's hear Mr Gapes. Its prosperity and tax revenue is vital for the whole United Kingdom. London voted Remain. Does the Prime Minister agree with the Mayor of London, a Labour winner, Sadiq Khan, that London now needs to remain in the European single market and needs devolved additional powers to deal with the problems caused by the vote last week. Well, I certainly agree with the Mayor of London. Uh, not only that London is the greatest city on earth, but London needs to make its voice heard in these vital negotiations. Obviously, there are many vital industries in London, but financial services is actually it's the, it's the capital not only of the UK's financial services, but Europe's financial services, and securing the best possible access to the single market is going to be a very important challenge in these negotiations. So London should have its voice uh, heard. This is a UK negotiation, but we should listen to the nations of the United Kingdom, but also the cities and the regions as well. Bernard Jenkins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. May I take this opportunity to pay tribute to my right honourable friend, to his premiership and to the many achievements of his government, of, of which we can be proud. And may I also commend his condemnation of the racist, vile racist attacks that have been reported from all over the country. And would he take this opportunity also to condemn the ridiculous and revolting behaviour of a certain MEP in the European Parliament yesterday and make clear that he does not represent this country and he does not represent and he and he does have people adding their own take on these matters the honourable gentleman order the honourable gentleman has the floor order I don't need any help from the Scottish National Party benches I'm perfectly capable of discharging my responsibility the Honourable Gentleman will be heard, and that's all there is to it. Mr Bernard Jenkins. Grateful, Mr Speaker. He does not represent this country, and he does not even represent the vast majority of patriotic and law-abiding people who voted Leave in the referendum. Well, first of all, let me thank my Honourable Friend for his uh, kind remarks and congratulate him for the role that he played in the campaign. Look, as for what MEPs have said and others, people should judge them by the remarks they make. I've made clear what I felt about Nigel Farage and that appalling poster in the campaign. Uh, I think the, the motive was absolutely clear and everyone can see what he was trying to do. Nick Thomas Simmons. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My constituency of Torvine has received substantial amounts of EU funding. The Leave campaign in the referendum promised that funding would continue even if we left the European Union. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that if my constituency loses a penny 
piece of its funding under his successor, that will be a gross betrayal. Well, it, it, it is the case that Wales as a whole is a net beneficiary of EU funds. And uh, as I said throughout the campaign, uh, if the vote was a no vote, I would want to do everything I could to make sure that we continue to help disadvantaged regions, we continue to help our farmers. Obviously, it's very difficult for anyone to give guarantees because you don't know exactly what will happen to our economy in the event of a leave vote, and our economy does face challenges. But it will be a matter for my successor as we leave the EU to make good on what they said at the time. Maggie through. Mr. Mr Speaker, I'm pleased to announce that residents from across Arrowash have chosen the Rocking Horse Nursery entry as the winning card for my designer birthday card for the Queen Gordon. Will the Prime Minister congratulate the 207 children who entered the competition? Order! I want to hear about these pupils. Order! Order! I want to hear about these pupils who rightly should be congratulated. Let's hear the Honourable Lady. Congratulate the 207 children who entered the competition with their amazing designs, and would he agree to present the cards to Her Majesty at his next audience? I, I, there are many ways in which members of Parliament are able to interact at a more human level with our constituents, and getting them to do birthday cards and Christmas cards is an excellent idea. I, I once got it slightly wrong. Having Bryce Norton in my constituency, someone did a Christmas card with Santa letting presents out of the back of a C-17, which I thought was excellent, but some of my constituents felt that Santa was carpet bombing uh, uh, rather than <laughs> handing out largesse. So with that proviso, it sounds a very good idea, and I'm sure Her Majesty would be delighted to receive them. Bloomfield. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Sheffield City Region was set to receive £180 million in European structural funds through to 2020. Much of that money is now at risk. Those leading the Leave campaign did give guarantees that no area and no sector would, re- would lose out as a result of Brexit. Now, we know that those promises were worthless, but will the Prime Minister join me with me in urging his successor to ensure that Sheffield City Region is compensated by the UK Government for every pound of funding lost as a result of last Thursday's decision. Obviously, as we negotiate our way out of the EU, a whole range of decisions are going to have to be made. Uh, And what a future government must do is make sure that we help our universities, we help sciences, we help disadvantaged parts of the country, we continue to support farmers. There is going to be a challenge, but we'll we'll be able to judge for ourselves about whether we have more money to do this because we've left left the EU, or less because of the impact on the economy. But that's something that we'll all be able to judge for ourselves in the years ahead. Henry Smith. Mr Speaker, thank you. Uh, Unfortunately, earlier uh, this morning, the Supreme Court ruled against a right of return of the Chagos Islanders uh, to their homeland. Uh, I know that my right honourable friend will be pleased that uh, shortly I won't uh, pester him much more uh, on uh, this issue, but might I suggest that a very fine legacy uh, of his premiership might be to allow uh, these British citizens to return to their homeland? Well, what I can say to my honourable friend is that the National Security Council has been considering this issue. We've looked at the alternative options. Uh, we've looked at the costs and the benefits of the various things that we could do, and we'll be making uh, an announcement in the coming months. 
Simon Danchuk. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Grade 1 listed Rochdale Town Hall has been described as a rare picturesque beauty. A bid to renovate this iconic building was rejected by the Heritage Lottery Fund in April. Of the five projects awarded grants, all five are based in the south of England. Would the Prime Minister consider supporting the renovation of this fantastic municipal building? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Honourable Gentleman is right, it is a beautiful building and it is a historic town that he represents. Uh, in terms of the Heritage Lottery Fund, I think he's being a little unfair on focusing just on those last five projects. I think if he looks more broadly, he'll find, for instance, that the Blackpool Museum, I think, received a grant of over 13 million. So it is, I believe, fairly balanced across the country, but I will look further and perhaps write to him about the general point and the specific issue of his town hall. James Berry. Mr Speaker, as well as Brits living abroad in the EU, there are a number of EU nationals living in this country in my constituency, working hard, paying their taxes entirely legitimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What reassurance can the Prime Minister give them that their position is secure? Because I know a number are very concerned. Well, first of all, I think the first thing to do is to praise the contribution that they make to our country. There are 50,000 EU nationals working in our NHS. There are 60,000 working in our care sector, looking after our elderly as they come towards the end of their life. There are many working in education. As I said uh, quite exhaustively on Monday, obviously we can say that all rights are guaranteed as we're members of the European Union. In the future, we will have to make sure, and I've heard members of the Leave campaign make this point, that people who are already here, people who are already studying, people who are working, must have their rights and their access guaranteed. But we can't say that now. We have to say that as part of the negotiation that will shortly take place. Jim Shannon. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister, can I join with the tributes to you for all that you've done in your time of office? Uh, does the Prime Minister agree that whatever the disagreements about the European Union, Prime Minister, you were in the Remain camp, I and my party were in the, the Leave campaign. The union that really matters is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And preserving that should be of the utmost importance. It works and is staying together. Prime Minister, what has been done to make sure that happens in your remaining time in office? Well, first of all, let me agree with the honourable. Let me thank the honourable gentleman for his remarks, and let me agree with him that keeping the United Kingdom together is an absolute paramount national interest for our country. Because of the decision that's been made about Europe, we need to have exhaustive conversations between officials in Whitehall and in Northern Ireland, and very strong relations with the Republic of Ireland, so we keep the benefits of the common travel area. As for the honourable gentleman, he's always supported one blue team, Leicester City, and one day I hope he'll support another blue team. But there we are. <laughs> Mr. Kevin Allen Rake. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As members of the single market for over four decades, many businesses have deeply embedded supply chains and customer relationships right across the EU. Does the Prime Minister agree that any future deal with the EU must include access to the single market? I think my honourable friend is absolutely right, but obviously the term access to the single market has many potential different meanings. Obviously countries outside the EU have access to the single market, some through a trade deal, some through World Trade Organisation rules, 
Obviously, the best access is to be a member of the single market. And what the country is going to have to decide, and what the next Prime Minister will have to decide, is what sort of access that we want, what are the costs and benefits of having that access. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a moment when I give my statement on the European Council. Finally, Neil Gray. Thank Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will be aware that Terex Trucks in my constituency is consulting its staff and unions this week uh, to shed a sixth of its workforce. And the company has approached the UK Government uh, to receive support from the UK Export Finance, but from that £40 billion fund has only received a guarantee to the value of one of its trucks. Will he commit to meet with me to discuss this perilous situation for the company and its workforce and what support his government can provide? Well, first of all, I'm aware of the recent announcement about these further job losses, and this is obviously going to be a difficult time for the workers and their families. I understand both the Scottish and the UK government have been working closely together with the company over the past couple of years as part of the Partnership Action for Continuing Employment Scheme. My right hon. Friend, the Secretary of State for Scotland, is also keeping a close eye on the situation, and I'm happy for a range of meeting between him and the honourable gentleman to talk about what more can be done. Order.